the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, The Life Spring. That's The Life Spring, and we'll bring you the first portion of that message here today. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with... The Life Spring. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Pearl S. Buck once wrote, Inside myself is a place where I live all alone, and that is where I renew my springs that never dry up. Every man or woman sooner or later looks back on life and asks the personal question deep inside, Who am I really and how did I get here? I mean, deep inside, who am I and how did I get where I'm at? Friend, life is a journey, and the destination will one day define who you were in the journey and who you will become because of that journey. The life that seeks meaning now will only have what it seeks if there is purpose at the end of the road less traveled. The outcome matters. The life lived well here must draw from something deeper in life, or the life lived well dries up to become a parched path with no purpose or plan at all. So it matters what we do today in our decisions with Christ. The choices we make today have an outcome in a future tomorrow. Every man or woman sooner or later looks back on life and someone besides themselves will look back with them, will ask the question, who are you and where did you come from? The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ, but it is more than this. It is also a revelation of what Jesus Christ can do for you, what Jesus can do in you, and what Jesus can do through you for the lives of others. It is a revelation of who and what you can become if you follow Jesus Christ all the way down life's road to the end of the road, and you don't let go of the hand that leads you. As soon as we see in the book of Revelation a great multitude that no one can number, that is except God, because God numbers His people, we see one of the four and twenty elders ask the vital question that can only be asked at the end of the road. Revelation 7, 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and whence have they come? Now, what sparks this question in the observer here? I mean, why does he ask it? Why is he so absorbed with the group he here sees? He sees them and so he, he is focusing upon one particular thing which draws out the question. One of the four and twenty elders described in Revelation 4.4 who himself is dressed in a white robe, who has a wreath of victory on his head. He notices this group and in some way it looks like himself. Before this end time scene, there are only four and twenty elders with white robes. And Christ, of course, has a white robe in Revelation 1. But now one of the elders sees a multitude standing before the throne dressed in a white robe just like his and it draws him to the group he sees. There is no evidence that they have received their crowns as of yet. They have robes, no crowns. They're in transition from here to wherever they're going. The crown is coming later in the context. But at the very end of this scene, we see this wise old elder dressed in a white robe, ready to see the transition from robes to crowns. 
And so it is that he is moved to ask the question, who are these dressed in white robes and whence have they come? Who are these people here defined as the people of the white robe? You see what they are and what they have become has meaning because of that white robe. Now, don't pass it by too quickly in your study of the Bible. That white robe matters in the context. These are the people of the white robe for all time. Dear heart, if you want to make it to God's kingdom without the white robe, you won't get there. Did you hear me? One commonality defines the redeemed who stand before the throne of God at the second coming. There is one thing that unites them in the imagery that we see here. The Bible says they are dressed in a white robe. The white robe is very significant in the book of Revelation. It has layers of meaning. I'd like to go through and kind of find them and put it all together with you this morning. The white robe represents certain clear truths that combine into a single symbol representing victory at the end. Now, how many of you like to be a loser in your walk with God? No one here, right? How many of you want to really, at the end, say, Hallelujah, I overcame at the end of time? Raise your hand if you're one of those people, Okay. I don't want to get through my religious experience, come into the road and say, well, I lost it all. Or I got so depressed in the road that my frowns took over my faith, that my life succumbed to the struggle of life, that, that lethargy took over spiritual energy. No, I want to stand on Zion's ground saying, hallelujah, victory belongs to Jesus. And so we all do, I believe, deep inside. For that to happen, we need to see how these people get there. The first person to wear a white robe in the book of Revelation, if you had to guess who that person is, who is it? It's Jesus Christ. He is the source of every white robe for everyone else after. We find that Christ is the one who appears in Revelation 1 with a white robe. Look at verse 13. In the midst of the land stands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden girdle round his breast. Jesus' robe here is the robe that the priest would wear. We know from Scripture it is white. He appears in the context of his high priestly ministry for the seven churches. He walks in the midst of the seven lampstands with a white robe, a priestly robe. Why? Friend, because Jesus is the source of righteousness, of purity, of a new life for every single believer in the church represented by the seven churches. Now think about what that means. There is no righteousness that works in life without the one who wears the white robe who has already done the work that really gets the righteousness. I mean, if you've got to sit here and figure out how to make yourself good enough to make yourself presentable to God, you can never produce a robe. And so we see that the book of Revelation starts with Jesus who has the robe. Now, the church of Sardis is rebuked in Revelation 3 because it has failed to advance and a bold witness for Jesus. It is ashamed of the white robe and has fallen asleep when it should be awake and sharing the truth with others. The one who fails to follow through with God's calling by sharing the living Christ in the life will not receive a white robe at the end of life. Jesus is very clear of this. I mean, how you handle Christ, how you handle the truth, how you use your life for the good of others matters in terms of the outcome. In this sense, the white robe represents the personal victory that comes by following Jesus all the way down the road to the end of the road without compromise, or if you experience it, dealing with it, putting it behind you, and moving ahead with God. Revelation 3, verse 4, it says this, Yet you have still a few. The Greek could be translated a little remnant named in Sardis. A few names in Sardis, a remnant of folk. People have not soiled their garments. 
And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Christ here walks in the midst of the seven lampstands in white. And those who keep their garments clean also walk in white in the end. The person who surrenders to defeat in the Christian life will never receive the white robe at the end of life. You know, sometimes we think victory is just not messing up. You ever thought that? Well, if I don't mess up the day, then I had a victorious day. You ever thought that? If I just get through the day and have no problems or no letdowns, if I don't say the wrong word, then I had a victorious day. That's not really what it's talking about here. Friend, as you struggle with sin in your life, as you struggle to overcome, if you hang on to Christ, if you put those sins before Him at the end of the day and in the day, and you cling to the righteousness that comes by faith and the Holy Spirit who helps you overcome, you're an overcomer. I mean, it doesn't matter what you've been struggling with. It doesn't matter who's been whacking away at you. It doesn't matter what messages you have in the back of your head. Friend, if you have Christ, you cling to Him in life, you are an overcomer. And so if we give up on Christ, if we become secular in our mentality, if we somehow think that proclaiming Christ does not matter in the church, that all that matters is being humanitarian, then we have lost the real picture here. And so the church of Sardis had slipped into that kind of living and Christ engages them and he says, you know, it matters what you do with me every day to the end of your life. This robe here comes at the end of life, lived in a relationship with Christ who has a white robe. Verse 5, Jesus says, he who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, that's an amazing verse. Two times Jesus says, I, in the passage. I will not blot his name out. I will confess his name. I mean, I is real personal. What he does is real meaningful. The white robe means that Jesus is on your side because you have Jesus. You will be accepted in the judgment day. Did you catch that? Now, I mean, there's no greater fear that can rattle the Christian experience then the fear of coming up to the judgment bar of God and not having your act together, somehow being naked and lost in the presence of God at the very end. Isn't that a universal fear? Or am I the only one that's thought that way? Anybody ever felt that? Now, you know, in the pre-advent judgment, now we mean pre-advent judgment. You know, many Christians don't believe there is such a thing. Oh, there's no pre-advent investigative judgment. Why would God have that? He knows everything. God has a pre-advent investigative judgment because the universe doesn't know everything. Because the universe needs to know what God knows and what Jesus knows. And Christ is saying in that future pre-advent judgment, I will confess your name before my Father in the most holy place and before His holy angels. The picture that is described in Daniel 7. And in this pre-advent judgment, Jesus will come to the Ancient of Days. The one who took our place at the cross of Calvary will take our place in this proxy judgment as He stands for us just before the end of all things. And as He comes before God the Father and before the holy angels into the place where sin started, into the very presence of God, one name at a time He will confess His people before the judgment bar of God and He will say, I died for that person. Give them to me forever in the future. And God will do that. You see, the truth of the gospel is clear. Christ who takes our place at the cross takes our place in the judgment. So you see, if we soil our garments... If we give up on Christ in life, we lose the benefit of Christ our substitute in the judgment day. In Matthew 24, 13, Jesus said, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, He doesn't say the one who endures to the end might be saved, does He? He says the one who endures to the end, what? Will be saved. 
I mean, that's assurance and confidence and acceptance. The person who overcomes sin by faith and does not go away from Jesus, who gets on his or her knees and struggles like Jacob did in his awful night of sorrow, will be accepted by Christ in the judgment in the most holy place before God the Father and the holy angels. Christ will say of that man or woman who did not give up on themselves because Jesus did not give up, this one was born in Zion and this one belongs to me. I confess their name as mine. Father, give me Joe. Give me Sue. Give me Ralph and Sally. Give them to me as part of my forever kingdom because of the cross of Christ. And he will do so. Friend, you need a white robe if you want to stand in the presence of God. In this way, if you want to be a part of that victory kingdom celebration that is the outcome of this judgment scene, the book of Revelation is clear. You need a white robe. In the church of Sardis, there are a few who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk in white. Now, the church of Laodicea, in contrast to Sardis, doesn't even have a white robe. The church of Laodicea is in deep trouble in the book of Revelation, just before the mark of the beast and the second coming. Now, we've been through the seven churches in our study together. Many of you know the church of Sardis represents the post-Reformation, the sleeping church that has become much of what we call modern evangelical Christianity, that even though it has the core concept of righteousness by faith, it lacks obedience to God's law. It sees a dichotomy between law and gospel. Much of it has surrendered to the doctrine of predestination instead of a living, abiding faith in Christ. But good Christians are found in the church of Sardis, which is prophetic of the post-Reformation era. The church of Laodicea represents that group that came out of the great Millerite Advent Awakening. It is the children of that conscientious, Christ-centered generation that went through the great disappointment of 1844 that awakened the world to the notion that Jesus is coming on this side of the millennium, not that side of the millennium. And the church of Laodicea represents a generation of Advent believers who do not understand the core teachings of prophetic truth with Christ our righteousness as the center of truth. And so the church of Laodicea doesn't care about a white robe experientially and, and sometimes even theologically. It wants to look humanitarian instead of Christ-centered in the world. It wants to feel good about its riches, its publications, its insurance plans, and its health and prosperity ministries rather than the riches, health, and prosperity that comes in a vital living relationship with Jesus Christ. It thinks it is everything when it really has nothing because it does not have Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, as it should have. It is not built upon the faith of the pioneers. It is forsaken faith for form of religion. It lives in the structures of what was created by a righteous generation, but it's failed to advance in the truth. It thinks it is everything when it really has nothing because if you have everything and you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Friend, the truth without Jesus is error. Knowledge without the Son of God is demon's talk. And prosperity without the man of poverty and sorrows is a bankrupt form of religion that Jesus says He will vomit out of His mouth. And so we live in a period of crisis and tension in the Laodicean era of church history. And so Jesus calls out to His end-time church that time is running out. And they need more than other Christians, more than the other Christians of the evangelical world. They need the white robe or they won't make it no matter how much prophetic or theological truth they think they have. It won't matter in the end. If you stand and you know all the teachings of the Bible and you can recount Daniel Revelation and you don't have Christ, our righteousness, and the robe on you, it will be a bankrupt form of religion. 
In Revelation 3.18, therefore Jesus says with a lover's call, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, which represents character, tried by persecution, that you may be rich, white garments, the righteousness of Christ to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve representing the Holy Spirit to anoint your eyes that you may see. In the book of Revelation, you are naked without a white robe, sandwiched between these two things. We see here in the center the white robe, which is the key for all of these things. The first time a man or woman was found naked in the Bible, they ran from God, didn't they not? The hound of heaven, Christ, and as God in, in the book of Genesis came after them and they hid from him. When Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit, they hid from God because they were naked and they wrapped themselves in leaves and they hid in the trees. And God said, where are you? And Adam said, I was afraid. And I hid from you. I was afraid. At the very end of time, that's exactly what will happen when Jesus returns. The Bible will come full circle. A generation of men and women at the end who do not know Christ, who don't want Christ, who have repelled Him in the everyday decisions of life, the Bible will come full circle and they will stand naked and they will call for God to hide them from the face of the one who is coming. Revelation six fifteen. Then the kings of the earth, the great men, the generals, and the rich. Now what church claims to be rich and increased with goods in need of nothing? Here we have the church of Laodicea indicated. Laodicean Christians who refuse to embrace Christ our righteousness, the rich and the strong. That means the self-sufficient. And everyone slave and free hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand before it? There's only one cure for nakedness for the Laodicean church and any other church that needs the white robe. The cure is the white robe that comes from Jesus. That's the cure. If you want to stand before the throne of God in all its glory, you must have a white robe to stand. There's no other way to stand. The question is asked in the sixth seal, who shall be able to stand? Now, it could have just as easily been asked this way, how can someone overcome spiritual nakedness, fear, and shame and come before God without these things in the way? What is it that will help someone to come close to God and not draw away at the time of the end? How can someone run to God instead of hiding from God in the last day? Who will be able to stand in that awful day? Friend, the answer is found in Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude which no man could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in what kind of robes? Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Now here's the song of the white-robed people. Here's the distinctive theology of the white-robed ones who stand in the last day. Salvation belongs to whom? To our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, they are here talking about themselves, are they? They aren't talking about how great a work they're doing in the earth. They're not talking about how good a kind of people they are. They have lost themselves in the Lamb. They have found in God the answer for the needs of life. They're not smart people in their own eyes. They know the one who is. And they're not in the business of telling others. 
that they're the great people of the last days. Instead, they're pointing to the one who is the great God of the last days and the great Savior of the last days. If you have a white robe in the end, you will know that you didn't get there because you're good. If you have a white robe in the end, you'll know that you didn't save yourself to get there either. If you have a white robe, you'll be convinced that the righteousness that gets you there is not your righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. If you have a white robe, you've come to know that you are not rich and increased with goods. You are, in fact, poor, blind, and naked. And you know that Jesus is the one who is rich, that the gold of God is found in the character of Christ, the person of Christ, and you know that He fixes the problems of life. If you have a white robe, you didn't get it because you tried hard or because your father was a minister or because you worked in the church all your life or because you have an advanced degree that makes you look good in the work of God. The only way to get the white robe is to get on your knees. It's to get on your knees and to get it free. It's to get on your knees and get it free. But when you take it from Jesus, it costs you everything you have to get it free. Because to humble up and to fall on your knees and get it free means you've got to let go of being who you think you are and to let yourself be real in the presence of God. You know, I was out this last week taking some time off and doing some accounting work in Tennessee. And usually when I take time off of ministry, the Lord impresses upon me faults of character deep deficiencies in my own personal life. And I'm grateful for His striving in my life. And I want to let you know that sometimes we got to get out of service for a day or two or more to listen to the voice of God, to humble up, confess our own faults, and I have plenty of them, and thank God for Jesus. I marvel at how the Savior can work with me. And maybe you marvel too. You know, if we marvel because of what He can do, maybe that's the beginning of worship instead of self-glorification and self-worship. And so as we come to the Christ of the cross, we find that we're the one who needs the Christ of the cross. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You won't get to heaven because you're rich. You won't get to heaven because you have all the answers. You won't get to heaven for any other reason than Jesus. The poor in spirit get to heaven and they seek the riches of God in Jesus. Friend, the white robe is a gift. How can I say that more clearly? The white robe is a gift. It is not manufactured by human beings. It cannot be earned by good works. It cannot be deserved. It comes as a product of grace. It is free, but it is costly. It costs God a lot to make that white robe for you. But when you receive it as a gift, you're really receiving Jesus because He's the one who has it. It represents the life, the victory, the future that God has for you in Jesus. It costs God everything to give it to you. And it costs you everything to take it because you cannot hang on to the world and hang on to it. To receive it, you've got to let go and receive. The prophet Isaiah spoke of Babylon in this way. Isaiah 47.3 your nakedness shall be uncovered and your shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no man. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name, is the Holy One of Israel. Friend, the Redeemer is the only cure for nakedness. And Jesus is the Redeemer. In Isaiah 61.10, it says, I will re greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. 
The white robe represents salvation by faith in Jesus who is the one who has the righteousness that takes care of human nakedness. Friend, in Jesus, God has given you a robe of righteousness as a free gift. There's not one thread or stitch of human devising in that perfect robe. It's been called forensic substitution by some. That's a fancy legal term for saying that Christ's life, Christ's death, takes the place of your imperfect life. And what you deserve is death. He has taken it from you as your substitute. Now, friend, if you don't believe you need a substitute, I mean, there's theology out there that says that we don't need a substitute because, you know, God's just using a metaphor to tell us that He loves us. That's just foolishness. Friend, we need a substitute because we're naked. We need someone who stands between us and the glory of God. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, remember that there are many more of these sermons available for you at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism, in a variety of forms, is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world, and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best-selling books, and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment, even. And we have this free book to help you understand things a little bit better, entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. Now, this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.